0: series in Hebrews, it's completely relevant for what we just witnessed in this place this morning, and I don't have a ton of time, and that's okay because I would rather do baptisms all day than have you guys listen to me, but I think uh, the Word of God this morning um, has the capability to do something in us, and as we've been walking through Hebrews this this last several weeks, I, I think all of you have found with me this book is... Like, no joke, right? This is not um, pithy little nice life lessons. This is like, whoa. <laughs> and that was kind of a, a whoa moment to watch those three baptisms. And uh, this passage we're going to read this morning is no different. So why don't you turn there with me? If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. Or download an app or something. Um, ESV app. It's free. It's really good. But Hebrews chapter 9 Take a look at it with me. We're going to read chapter 9, verses 15 through 28 together, and then I'm going to try to walk through this with you um, without crying this morning, <laughs> and, uh, and pray that God speaks to us. Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For, we, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's the word of the Lord, amen. And again, we read a passage that's thick, right? It's full of stuff. And it's good stuff. And what's interesting about Hebrews, and I, I want to remind everybody, especially those who haven't been with us through our series, is the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, right? So he's talking about things that they understand. He's talking about sacrifices. He's talking about the tent, the holy place, all these articles and, and copies of things that, that are sprinkled with blood. And, and the, the audience that he's writing to, they understand what he's saying. Just give you a brief summary. In the old covenant when God came remember the burning bush Moses spoke to him go get my people out of Egypt and he began to declare who he was he had done it through Abraham and then he had done it through Moses revealing himself as the God of the universe to people and then you see the exodus as they leave and then God begins to set up this is how I want you to relate to me And what we saw is that as God set that up in the Old Testament, he he had them do sacrifices. He enacted a priesthood, and he enacted a place where his presence would be. He called it the holy place. And then even further in was the most holy place. And it was a place that only the priest would go once a year to sprinkle blood to atone for sins. So they would sacrifice goats. They would sacrifice calves. There was ceremony to it. There was articles that were in the tent. There was a way that they were instructed by God on how they were to relate to God. And what we see here in Hebrews is that for about 1,400 years, God had revealed himself in such a way that it was symbolic. It was a type. It was a copy of. It was all pointing to ultimately God doing what he wanted to do in our lives. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's trying to kind of bring everyone up to speed. He's speaking to people who know what he's talking about. And in this passage, as we've talked about the last several weeks, God makes an interesting comparison. He begins to talk about this new covenant again, and he compares it to a will, a will and testament. So I guess I'm a lawyer. I went to law school. I studied wills. I, I practice in criminal law. So please don't come to me for your will. I would have no idea how to do it, but I know some people who do. (laughs) I don't think I could pass the bar right now if I had to take it. But there was a day I knew it. But he compares it to a last will and testament. I thought about this a lot over the last week. This idea of inheritance, this idea of a last will and testament. My mother has something she says all the time. I know she's here should have asked your permission before I did this. How many of you guys ever got this from your moms or your dads? You know, you're hanging out at their house, i will be hanging at their place, and I'll say, man, I really like that. Oh, when I'm dead and gone, you can have it. Anybody? (laughs) Someday it'll be yours when I'm dead, right? (laughs) And we always joke about it. Yes, mom, when you die, we'll get everything. That's great. We we don't want you to die, right? He makes this comparison here. And he says that the new covenant's like a last will and testament. Because in verses 15 and 16, if you take a look at it, jump down to 16. For will, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will to take effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats. So for a, for a will to be enacted, and this comparison is fraught with misunderstanding. And, and I don't think we can go too far with the comparison. It means what it means, and we can't go too deep into it. Because you can't compare every aspect of a, of a will and testament to uh, the new covenant. But I think this comparison is relevant to us, and I pray that God would bring this truth out of his word for us to grab onto today. The way he relates this amazing new covenant to a will and testament is that a death has to occur for it to be enacted. A death has to happen because you don't get your inheritance until the person who gives it to you dies, right? And here we are, we see 1,400 years of ceremony as he speaks to the Jewish people about how they would relate to him in these sacrifices, blood being shed. And it seems kind of bloody, doesn't it? A sacrifice has to be made. Payment has to be made. Atonement has to happen. And, and in the same way, this new covenant, it's almost like a will and testament because someone has to die for you to get this incredible inheritance. And Jesus is that sacrifice once and for all. Isn't that good news? The interesting thing about a will is it's not something you negotiate, is it? You don't negotiate it. You're not involved in the terms. It's just something someone gives to you and you receive. There's an inheritance an inheritance for you and an inheritance for me. And it has to come through a death. And as we look back and we see this idea of atonement and death and blood, it's, it seems kind of crazy. But it's addressing this this major problem as we've walked through Hebrews. It's addressing the idea, the thing that the old covenant couldn't address. And I want to just take a look at that quickly because I think it's important to point out. We saw in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then we see this in Hebrews chapter 8. If you have your Bible, go back to it. My voice just squeaked. I'm going through puberty here. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds. Write them in their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they shall not teach each other. I'm sorry, and they shall not teach each one to his neighbor and each one to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So here's the new covenant. The old covenant was a symbol, it was a type, it was a copy. And what we see is sacrifices being made so that they could relate to God. They would kill a goat and a calf and come into the holy place to say, God, somehow does this atone for our sins? And they would do it once a year, over and over and over again. And and folks, what this was all pointing to, what the author of Hebrews is talking about, is that there's an inheritance for us that, that only Jesus can affect, that only Jesus can make active and real and effective in our lives. And just like those calves and goats that could not accomplish it, but only pointed to it, only only gave us an idea of what it was, Jesus actually does it. That's what he's saying to us this morning. And we say to ourselves, why? I mean, why does there have to be a death? Why does it have to be paid for? I think it's important for us to realize, as we think towards the good news of our inheritance, that this isn't just some Facebook pithy post that makes us feel good about life. That this isn't just some myth or something that we hear about that's going to help us be successful or help us just live our best life or help us um, make a lot of money or help us kind of get through things, that there is something more significant happening here that if we really look at it, if we really hone in on it and think about it, is absolutely life-changing. And that's that God, through his sacrifice, takes care of our biggest problem that sometimes we don't even realize we have. And that's sin. See, there were sacrifices every year because the people of Israel realized they were sinful. They screwed up. That we are born into a life that is bent by sin. As sin has entered the world, there's, there's difficulty, there's selfishness, there's hate, there's... there's and, and, and folks, all we have to do, right, is just take a little look around and see it in our own life Willie, all we have to do is take a look inside for a minute and see it, am I right? there's a huge need that we have I recognize the need in my own life because I fall short so often and when sin is in our lives and sin is in our world it creates a need for justice does it not? It creates a need for us to make it right. What we recognize through the book of Hebrews and through the Old Testament is God's perfect. God is holy. God is sinless. And God is what? He's just. I always think about this in the context of my job. I've been a prosecutor for the last 10 years. And, and for the last almost 10 years, I've, I've been in the Special Victims Bureau for the last three years. I've been... Running the Special Victims Bureau in Onondaga County, which is eight of us that prosecute um, child abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assaults, and domestic violence. And so I've kind of jumped into a world over the last 10 years where I see um, in real time some huge tragedy and difficulty and the result of a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in someone's life, right? Self control, gentleness, love, kindness, peace, patience. And it's interesting because I'll, obviously, um, as our cases kind of come through the system, sometimes, you know, Syracuse.com will report on them or somebody will, somebody will write a story and, you know, and I, I go down and I can't help it. It's like watching a train wreck. I have to read the blogs, right? Anybody? And I know it's some dude who's like 40 in his mom's basement writing this blog. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it recording? <laughs> Some of you may write the blind. I'm just, you guys. <laughs> but inevitably, in one of our cases, you hear or you see this cry of justice. Like, this guy hurt this baby. This guy hurt this kid. This, you know, obviously, we had a huge case in our, um, in our community this year in relationship to a, a small child. We have... That was one in the media. We have numbers of them that people don't hear about. But you hear this outcry of justice, hang him, like send him to prison forever, kill him. Right? And anybody see those in the news or on Syracuse.com. And I always I always I I always am interested in that and I always read that because no no one ever feels like the sentence is enough. But, but what I get is that there's something that rises up in a human heart as we're in, created in the image of God. There's something that rises up in our heart that cries out for justice, right? Someone has to make this right. Sitting in a room with someone whose house has been burglarized, and they're like, someone I don't know was in my home. My children were there. I feel scared. I feel violated. Someone has to make this right. Am I Right? Or someone has done something to me, and and someone has to make it right. There's been an offense. Someone has damaged something of mine, stolen something of mine, killed a family member. How could that ever be made right? Hurt my child. How could that ever be made right? And as we see that clear picture in the world of of criminal activity, I think what we need to recognize, and, and listen, we're here to talk about ultimate issues, right? That's why we're here this morning not just hanging watching Netflix, right? I think we need to recognize this morning in our own lives, our own sin, our own injustice, and where we have done something to God and his holiness that absolutely needs to be made right. Isn't that true? There's a gap. And if we don't see the problem, we can't take joy in the solution. Am I right? So I think it's important that we see the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is we fall short. Romans 3 says no man chooses good. No, not one. We are all bent towards selfishness. You know who I'm most interested in being fed, comfortable, warm, uh, comforted every single day? Do you know what thoughts flood my mind about who needs to be taken care of the most? Me. <laughs> I'm hungry right now. I'm thinking about... <laughs> It needs to be made right. I think about it every day, standing in in the midst of crime scenes, watching moms lose their knees as they're physically reacting to the loss of a child, and I cry out, God, you have to make this right. How can we make this right? And so as God revealed in the Old Testament how we relate to him, Something needed to be sacrificed as a substitution for sin. When we see someone do something wrong, we think, kill him, get him, put him in jail, hurt him, make it right. And and the way that God um, demonstrated to us how to relate to him is yes, justice needs to be done and so what I'm going to let you do is, is, is you're going to kill a spotless lamb, you're going to kill a calf and you're going to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and I'm going to forgive your sins. But what we see here in the author of Hebrews says this, calves and goats weren't enough. It was all pointing to one major sacrifice once and for all. What we see here is that Jesus came and he was the spotted lamb. He was, this is a powerful word, and you need to hear it for yourself. He was the substitution, substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. He came to take upon himself the punishment for sin so that God can be just because He's just and He could execute justice. For all the sin of the world, saved up from Adam to the end of the world, all of his judgment and anger, all that needed to be made right was pointed and directed at Jesus in his death so that justice could be served and at the same time, those of us who are guilty can be declared justified. Amen? Isn't that good news? He died once. For all. He doesn't have to keep dying over and over and over again because of who he was. Because he was fully God and he was fully man and he left heaven and made himself like us and experienced everything we experienced. Lived the spotless life we couldn't live and then the only one who didn't deserve to die in the way that he died did it. Why? So you don't have to. So I don't have to. So that we can stand in the waters like Tim and Zoe and T.T. did this morning and participate in something he's already done for us and be declared justified. He bought our justification and our sanctification. What did it say in Hebrews chapter 8? He said, I'm not just going to, like in the old covenant, have you try to accomplish the law, like live up to it every day, do the right things, perform, behave, kill calves and goats, and walk through these motions that are just a copy of the real thing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write it right in your heart and right in your minds. So it's not some flesh-filled effort of striving every day to accomplish something we're incapable of accomplishing, but it's a A holy reliance on something he did for us. And then because he did it for us, he begins to change us and write it on our hearts and write it on our minds. As we look at the face of a God who got down, in essence, on his knees and served us in a way that we never deserved, that we weren't even asking for, as he served us in his death, And in his resurrection, now he says, it should produce in you a life of worship, and gratefulness, and I'll write my law on your hearts. Because I loved you so much, your heart's gonna begin to change, and you're gonna love people different. Because I've forgiven you, even when you didn't deserve it, I'm gonna start to write my law on your heart, and it's gonna produce in you the fruit of forgiveness towards others, grace towards others, gentleness towards others. Real gospel life is a life of humility, and grace, and gratefulness, not arrogance, And and disdain, does that make sense? Boy, we want to be a church like that, do we not? Focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ and letting it produce something in our lives that changes the way we relate to each other on the basis of what God's done so we can relate to him. Isn't that good news? I'm almost done, I'm doing pretty good actually in terms of time. Was surprised. We haven't been great at this historically. Sometimes, I mean, we've had moments of incredible greatness as God's produced gospel-centered lives that produce this kind of fruit. But hasn't there been sinful hijacking of? of Christianity sometimes that produces like arrogance and, and, and disdain and people who seem to be all about what we're against. I think God wants to produce in us folks that recognize this. Jesus died, paid the price as our substitute once and for all, and that should produce in us fruit, should produce in us the law written on our hearts and on our minds. Amen? I was reading... Uh, Martin Luther King's uh, letters from Birmingham jail. Birmingham, yeah. And I recognized in those letters, as he was going through incredible persecution, obviously, as he's sitting in jail, in his efforts towards civil rights, that when he wrote about what needed to happen in the hearts of people to change the race issue in our country. The letters didn't reflect what I really think everybody should do is care about God less and be more secular. Isn't that what he said? You know, in the midst of maybe some folks in the South or different folks that he'd experienced claiming Christianity but yet hating, he wrote in these letters, you should read them, they're really interesting, about how folks needed to be more Christian, more like Jesus, more gospel-centered, and that would produce what our nation needed to heal the racial issue. How relevant is that today? We need folks to be more like Jesus, to be more Christian, which means to recognize more readily what has happened on our behalf. God As we look at this passage, who is it that gets this inheritance that comes through this death? Who is it that gets it? Those who God has called receive this inheritance. What we see in verses 23 through 26 is that these copies of things were just just a, a shadow. They were just pointing to. And so lest we compare Christianity to some other philosophy that makes us feel good, some other idea or myth or thoughts that are just interesting that make us think about life or, or take another step forward in our, in, our, in our journey towards success, I think as we really look at this, what we see in verses 23 to 26 is Jesus didn't just go into a place made with hands. Jesus didn't just go into a place that was a copy or a type. Jesus, a historical figure, actually did come. He actually did die and he went right to heaven and he made it effective, your inheritance. So those who are called, get this inheritance. It's like you didn't even know it was coming. You're sitting in the lawyer's office, he opens up the book and he says, guess what? So-and-so has passed away and he left you this. You get it. There's nothing that you need to negotiate, nothing you need to ask for. It is yours. Isn't that good news? He made it effective, and it's yours. Tim, Tyler, Zoe, those of us who God has done something in our hearts that we found this ability to respond and say, God, I need you. I love what Zoe wrote. I need the Lord. I feel the same way today as much as I ever have. I need him. And here's what he says. It's done. I did it once and for all. You don't have to kill any more animals. You don't have to go through any more ritual or any kind of activity. I did it. It's done. And it's yours. Here's what you do. Respond with a life of worship. As I write my law on your heart and on your mind, because of what I've done for you, you're gonna be totally different and people are gonna see it in your life. Amen? Isn't that good news? I was watching my kids. I totally didn't go through a lot of this, but we don't have a lot of time. I was watching my kids think through their Christmas list and I was thinking through mine a little, let's be honest. <laughs> my mother starts asking us what we want for Christmas in July. It's amazing. <laughs> I've been picking on you a lot today, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know, there's you know, I look around my house and I'm like, I, I could really use this. <laughs> I could really use this. I'd really love us to do this. I'd really love that. And I was kind of watching my kids do the same thing. I want this this year, I want this this year, I want this this year. As we come towards the holidays and towards Christmas and towards the temptation to be totally commercialized to death and broke, right? Come on. Let's take a minute in light of this passage and think about this incredible inheritance that we each get. This gift that is so much more than all this stuff that piles in our garage next year in the year after, that we're trying to get rid of now. That rusts and falls apart and goes away. We have, because of Jesus, an eternal inheritance that we couldn't have earned, that we didn't work for, that he did once and for all. What a great gift. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we... Thank you for your word because it shows us things that you've revealed to us. And I just pray this morning that you would write it on our hearts that somehow this morning the reality of your gospel, of your death and what it's done would sink into our hearts in a way like it never has before. Write it on my heart. Write it on our hearts in a way that we know it like we've never known it before. And help it to produce in us a life of worship. Not just folks that stand and sing incredible songs of who you are, as as wonderful as that is, but help us worship you and sing those songs with our lives, with the way we treat each other, with the way we work with the way we love, with the way we interact with our neighbors, declaring to everybody, as was demonstrated in this service, that you died for us once and for all and that you've forgiven us. We are grateful this morning. Help us more and more to understand the implications of your death and your resurrection in this amazing inheritance. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with us?